delve right back into the book of Ecclesiastes this morning. And after explaining in depth uh, the, the mystery of life, some of the very confusing things about life, the futility of life, the brevity of life, Solomon brings us to a final uh, crystal clear conclusion about life. And we're going to look at that this morning. You know, no matter what's going on in your life today or what has gone on in your life, the answer to everything is to fear God and keep his commands because judgment is coming. Uh, If things are confusing for you or painful or hard uh, or if they are very good, the path forward is always to fear God and keep his commands. We will not understand or even like everything that goes on under the sun, uh, but we are given an infallible rule for living life in this world here, as Solomon calls it, life under the sun. Solomon said when, when all has been heard, when, when everything's been talked about, you know, when all the talking is over, When everything's been said and everything's been heard, the conclusion of the matter is this. Fear God and keep his commandments because this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, every hidden thing, whether good or evil. We will give an account to God for every deed. And that truth should govern how we live our lives every moment on this earth, under the sun. So at the end of a book that seems to say everything is meaningless, suddenly everything you do has profound meaning. Because God sees everything. He sees the good and the bad. And he sees all that is secret. He sees the things that people see and the things that people don't see. He sees everything. Commentator named Phil Riken said, the final message of Ecclesiastes is not that nothing matters in the end, but that everything matters in the end. Every act of obedience, no matter how small, every act of worship, every attitude matters. And someday God will make his judgments known about everything we do uh, and about everything every person does. And there will be a recompense or a reward for it. We see a lot of stuff going on around us all the time that makes us shake our head and wonder why people get by with so much. It seems that God gives it a pass. But someday, according to Solomon, according to all of Scripture, God will make his opinion known about everything. He will pass judgment on everything that is done, everything that ever was done under the sun. One of the hard messages of Ecclesiastes is that there are no immediate answers to the injustice, the evil, and the oppression that goes on in this world. 
For example, in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 1, uh, Solomon said, I looked and I saw all the oppression, or we might say cruelty or abuse. I saw all the oppression that was taking place under the sun, and I saw all the tears of people. I saw all the tears of the oppressed, and they had no comforter. Power was on the side of the oppressor, and they had no comforter. So how do we deal with that? Uh, what do you tell people who have experienced or are experiencing ab abuse and cruelty and injustice? The answer is a day of judgment. The answer is that God will put things right. Uh, the answer is that God is the judge of all the earth. And God will settle all scores. He will bring all things to a perfect and fully satisfying justice in the end. And we will rejoice in that. But that day is not just for those people. He will decide whether our deeds are good or evil. We won't decide. Other people won't decide. God will decide. He created us. He has every right to evaluate, to judge our lives. And that day is coming very soon for all of us. The book of Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27 says, It is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment. And Solomon's point is because that day is coming and because our life is so brief, it's just a breath, so that final day is coming and it's coming very soon. Every day that we live now under the sun matters and how we live it matters a guy by the name of david gibson wrote a book on ecclesiastes called living life backwards i, I love that title living life backwards how ecclesiastes teaches us to live in light of the end how, in other words how ecclesiastes teaches us to live now in light of the end of life Life is a breath, Solomon says, over and over. And we die, and then we stand before God. And so the message is, look at the end. Let that grip you. Let that change how you treat your wife today. Uh, let it restrain that impulse to complain. Uh, let it keep you from having that meltdown. Uh, let it move you to forgive somebody. Let it move you to love your brother or sister let it move you to get busy and take up a work uh, for the Lord, as, as we heard last week. Always abounding. Because of the resurrection, we'll always be abounding in the work of the Lord. So let the end make a difference now. Live, life, live your life backwards. This is very much like what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, uh, verses 9 and 10. In fact, I... I think it's very likely that Paul took some of his language from this verse from Solomon in this passage in Ecclesiastes. Paul said, We make it our goal to please him, whether at home or away, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what has been done in the body, whether good or evil. And Paul was saying we, I think he meant obviously himself, I think he was saying that as a collective we for all Christians. That's, 
that is our attitude as believers in Christ. We strive as if going after some honor or prize to please Christ. We will stand before Christ someday, and we want Him to be pleased. And so we make it our ambition in everything we do to please Him, knowing that someday we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. I do believe there are two different kinds of judgment. There is a judgment of condemnation and a judgment of evaluation. In one sense, for those who have put their trust in Christ, those who know Christ, those who belong to Christ, our judgment took place 2,000 years ago. The condemnation that we deserve for our sin was put on Christ. He paid that for us. He took that from us. There is no eternal condemnation ahead for those who are in Christ Jesus. But the Bible also says that all of us will stand before Christ for a testing of our works. How Christians live does matter. And when you, and I say when, not if, because you will, but when you get exposed to teaching that tells you that how Christians live doesn't matter, watch out. Beware of that kind of teaching. There is a day where our works will be tested. The Bible makes that clear. And it says we, we will receive uh, what is due for what we have done in the body. So Solomon said when all has been heard, and I think he means everything that he's written to us in the book, which there's a lot of stuff there, uh, and I can't go into the whole book this morning again, but he says when all has been heard, this is the final conclusion. So let's think just a moment, what have we heard? And some of you are more familiar with the book of Ecclesiastes than others. I understand that. And again, I can't go over it all. But in general, what we have heard throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, we have heard that life is a breath. Life is brief. brief. Life is futile and at times frustrating. Things don't always make sense. Things don't seem fair. Uh, life is hard. There's lots of toil and tears and sorrow. And we find ourselves doing many of the same things over and over and over. And if you stop and think about it, it just doesn't seem very, very meaningful. And one of the translations of the uh, kind of the mantra repeated throughout uh, Ecclesiastes is meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. Uh, in, the, in the ESV it says vanity, uh, vanity, everything is vanity. Uh, some other translations say futility, futility, everything is utterly futile. Uh, things that we think will bring happiness don't deliver happiness. Uh, life under the sun just doesn't satisfy us. There's, there's hungers that we have. There's things that, that you desire. There's, there's pleasure, satisfaction, happiness, inward cravings that you have in your heart that just 
do not get satisfied in life under the sun or life in this world. And then on top of all that, Solomon reminds us again and again and again that at the end of that, then, then we all die. And it could be any day. In chapter 9, verse 12, he says, No one knows when their hour will come. As fish are caught in a cruel net or birds are trapped in a snare, so men are ensnared in an evil time that suddenly falls upon them. Life under the sun, as Solomon said, is futility. Uh, one author I said, when, or one author that I read, s- described life under the sun as futility with a vengeance. And sometimes it feels like that, doesn't it? Some look for uh, drugs or alcohol to medicate the vanity and pain of life. Uh, Some search for relief in pleasures and projects, uh, wealth or houses, or some alternative form of spirituality. Most of those are things that Solomon himself mentions in the book of Ecclesiastes. But Solomon gets to the end of the book and he says, stop looking. I have the answer. Here is the conclusion. And even before he tells us the conclusion, he warns against keeping up an endless search for happiness and meaning. In verse 12, he says, be warned. The writing of many books is endless. And they will just wear out your soul. And I think what Solomon, the point was, I mean, people look for answers other places in books, but he was just saying that a very common way that people go about trying to find answers to life is just reading book after book after book after book. And Solomon is saying that endless kind of search for answers will just exhaust your soul and it will leave you in futility. He said, here's the answer. The answer, the conclusion to everything. Taking all, this, all these factors in, into view, the conclusion of everything is to fear God and to keep His commandments. The only answer to life under the sun is a life lived with a proper reverence and fear for God, a life lived to honor God and obeying what he says. This is your purpose in life. This is what gives your life meaning. Meaning for, meaning for life. A meaningful life is found in fearing God, reverencing God, honoring God, following God, and obeying what he tells you to do. Uh, the measure of your life is, is not success or failure in anything on earth. The measure of your life is did you fear and obey God? Or are you fearing presently and obeying God? That's the measure of your life. And this works all the time for every person in all the vanity and all the struggles of life. Uh, no matter what you're going through, no matter what you have been through, This advice works. This advice is the key to life. If you're young, if you're old, uh, if you're poor, if you're rich, if you're married, if you're single, if you're experiencing present success or some kind of massive failure, 
the answer is to fear God enough that you obey him and you will have found wholeness and purpose for your life. You know, I talked to somebody here just a few days ago and he was explaining to me that he had to do something directly against the command of God in order to find healing for himself. What a lie. Wholeness, healing, answers, meaning, purpose, joy is all found in honoring, fearing, worshiping, reverencing God and obeying what he tells you to do. So in the midst of lots of things that don't seem to matter, this always matters. It's a great way to simplify your life. You get up in the morning, you honor God, you bow before Him, and you realize my business today is to honor and serve the King and obey what He tells me to do. And we do that in the midst of, of what Solomon calls this vanity, this mystery of life, things going on that we don't understand, things that we can't figure out. Uh, for example, chapter 9, verse 11, Solomon said, I saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, and the battle is not to the strong, and neither is bread to the wise, nor wealth to the intelligent, nor favor to the skillful, for time and chance overtake them all, or time and chance happen to them all. So we see this, uh, we see this injustice, this randomness, this unpredictability, and we're troubled by it, especially when it happens to us. The race isn't to the swift. We might be swift, we might not, might not win the race. You might be strong, but you might not win the battle. Uh, you might be very smart, but you don't have enough bread. Uh, you might be, might be very intelligent, but you're not accumulating any wealth. You might have a lot of skills, but you're not getting any recognition or honor. Nobody appreciates it. I mean, that's just how life is. But in the end, it doesn't really matter whether you won or lost the race, whatever kind of race you want to um, use or apply that word picture to. It doesn't really matter whether you had lots of money or not. It doesn't ultimately matter whether you got the honor you felt you deserved or not. It doesn't really matter if your skills and your goodness are rewarded or recognized. It doesn't matter if you got the honor you deserve or not. God isn't going to hold you accountable for any of those things. The only final issue is, did you fear and obey God while you lived your life under the sun? That is the measure of life. That's That's the issue that's under consideration uh, at the day of judgment. Even when life seems very uh, repetitive and mundane and ordinary, 
and you just feel like uh, you're not doing any, anything more meaningful than shuffling paper clips or whatever, this is what matters, that you honor God, that you fear him, and that you obey him. This, this is what defines you. This is the ultimate definition of, of your life. You're not defined by your job. You're not defined by your career. You're not defined by your looks. You're not defined by your clothes. Not defined by your friends. Uh, not defined by your background. This is what defines you. What you are before the face of God. How you respond to God. Your attitude toward God. Fearing God and obeying God are connected. You know, uh, obviously Solomon connects them in this verse. He says, the, you know, the end of the whole matter, the conclusion of everything is that you, that you fear God and keep his commandments. So obviously they are connected. They're not two unrelated things. I believe uh, clearly from Scripture that, that this is the connection, that we are to fear the Lord to the point that we obey the Lord. Fear is the beginning of wisdom. Fear is a protection because it leads us to follow, to respond to, to obey the Lord. And that leads us to wise, safe, and good, protected living. Happy living, too. So we are to fear the Lord to the point that we obey him. So when a brother or sister is living in, in open or clear sin, there is, there's always a lack of fear of God at the root of it. Uh, or if someone says, I know this isn't what God wants me to do, but I'm going to do it anyway, I just can't help it. That kind of reasoning always comes from not fearing God. And that's because we obey what we fear. If we fear rejection, then we're going to become a slave to the opinions of other people. If we fear men, we'll end up pleasing, serving, and obeying men. Um, if somebody says, well, I only do what so-and-so tells me to do, that means that person is who they fear and respect most. And of course, if we fear God, then we'll end up serving, uh, pleasing, obeying Him. That's how it works all the time. We obey what we fear, what we respect the most. Jesus said, not everyone who... Uh, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Very sobering verse. One of the most sobering verses in the Bible. But only he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons, and work miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Depart from me, workers, you workers of lawlessness. Uh, here were people who seemingly did a lot of spiritual things. They called Jesus Lord, Lord. But Jesus called them workers of lawlessness, simply meaning people who disobey God. They disobey God's rules for life. And that's because they don't fear him. So Jesus said on that day, I will say, I don't know you. Again, very sobering thought. But the point here for us is talking about God, using God words, using spiritual language, even 
calling Jesus Lord is not a substitute for fearing and obeying him. Supernatural experiences are not a substitute for fearing and obeying God. Godly fear is what keeps us from living a life of lawlessness. Godly fear leads to the safety of obedience. Elizabeth Elliot wrote a book a long time ago called The Joy of Obedience. And that's so true. And it's the fear of the Lord that leads to the joy of obeying the Lord. Ecclesiastes 7.18, it is good to grasp the one and not let the other slip from your hand. For he who fears God will follow both warnings. Okay, I love this word picture. It's like you got, you got something in one hand that God gives you, and now you got something in the other hand that God gives you, and it says the one who fears the Lord won't let go of either one of them. Isn't that a powerful word picture? Uh, so if you fear God and he gives you one warning or one instruction, you latch on to it. You own that for your life. You take it seriously. And if he gives you another warning or instruction, then you grab a hold of that with the other hand and you don't let go of either one. You take what God says seriously. You grasp his word and his warnings and you don't let them slip through your hand. That's what Solomon said is true of those who fear the Lord. Kind of quiet in here this morning. I, uh, I know it's a serious message, but I think it's a really important message or I wouldn't give it to you. And actually I'm praying, I pray that God would work miracles here this morning. This is something we really need. Something we need bad. You know, we sang this morning that God is a miracle worker. Probably the biggest miracle he could work in our midst is to create a proper fear of the Lord in our lives. Solomon said to to fear and obey God is the whole duty of man. Or the word duty actually isn't in there. Uh, That's assumed, but it means... To fear the Lord, to obey Him, this is the whole of a man's life. This is what makes up you as a person. This is the the entirety of a man's life. To live for God. To love Him, obey Him, worship Him, and fear Him. And keep keep His commandments. It's the critical issue for each person. You know, uh, the answer to life is really not confusing. Uh, The old hymn got it right. Trust and obey. There is no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. You know, we've used that advice, advice with a lot of people. We've quoted that hymn. A lot of people that have come to Cindy and me for counseling or advice on things. And a lot of times we've maybe shared some things, but we've often ended with that song, Trust and Obey, There's No Other Way to Be Happy in Jesus. Micah 6.8 says basically the same thing. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. 
God created you for him. God created you to love him, to obey him, to worship him, and enjoy him. Sin separated us from that purpose. Christ died to bring you back into that place of reverence and joyful obedience to your God, to the God who created you. Titus 3, 3, 3 3-5 says, At one time, once upon a time, at one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, because we hadn't done righteous things, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. We were once disobedient, but the outcome of being saved and washed and renewed by the Holy Spirit is that we are becoming obedient people who walk with God in reverence and we honor him. Christ saved us, uh, that passage in in Titus says. He saved us. He's our Savior. Um, He saved us, it says, and he sent his Spirit into our hearts for many reasons, but right at the center, the core of it, is so that we might begin to obey God. Romans 6, 17. Thanks be to God that you who were once slaves to sin have now become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. You know what we're talking about this morning? It's at the very heart of the gospel. I mean, we're not saved by our obedience, but Christ saved us and sent his spirit into us so that we might become obedient children. Now, here's the thing that many people don't accept. Here's the thing that many people don't believe. And here's the thing that keeps many people uh, avoiding all talk or thought about fearing God because they don't know this. And, and here's the truth that uh, people miss so often. God calls us to fear and obedience because that is to our benefit. The good life is the life that fears the Lord. Ecclesiastes 8.12, Although a sinner does evil a hundred times and still lives long, yet I know that it will go well with those who fear God. It will go well with those who fear God. The fear of God is to your advantage. It's for your protection and for your well-being. Proverbs 14.27 says, The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. Hear that. Hear the word of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. 
turning or keeping a person from the snares of death. Fearing God will keep you out of lots of pain and trouble. Uh, it will keep you out of many snares and traps of the enemy. Uh, disobeying God is like driving on the wrong side of the highway, running stop signs and red lights. You are going to crash. That's why Proverbs 28, 14 says, Blessed is the one who fears the Lord always. Uh, I love the New King James Version of that. The word blessed means happy. And the New King James Version puts it this way. Happy is the one who is always reverent to the Lord. Put that on your refrigerator. God manifests his presence and his loving kindness where there is reverence for him. You know, a lot of people, a lot of us, and I, this is a great thing. I mean, we want, God, manifest your presence in my life, in our home. We, we want the fullness of God. We, you know, we want to be immersed in the love of God. I mean, we, want, we want the power of God to fall on us. Psalm 103.11 says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. Uh, this is the good life. Walking in reverence and honor and a proper fear of the Lord. I think it's uh, very significant that Solomon preaches uh, the enjoyment of God right alongside uh, the fear of God. And I know, I realize not everybody here has been here through our teaching series on Ecclesiastes, but we spent a whole Sunday talking about in the vanity of life, we're supposed to go, even though we don't understand everything that's going on, we don't understand everything that God is doing, we're supposed to go and enjoy God and his good gifts. And so Solomon preaches the enjoyment of God and his gifts right alongside the fear of the Lord. And I shared this before, but uh, uh, Roy Zuck from uh, Dallas uh, Theological Seminary had a, has a, a, a book on Ecclesiastes, and he, he, he boiled down the, the entire theme of the book of Ecclesiastes to this. Enjoy life and fear God. Seven times in the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon commends fearing God. Seven times in the book of Ecclesiastes, he commends enjoying God. Or did, I, did I get those mixed up? I don't know. Anyway, seven, he says, <laughs> I, 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 uh, I'm not sure which I put, said first, but anyway, seven times he commends fearing God, seven times he commends enjoying God. In other words, there's a correlation. They, they go together. Uh, and just for those of you that weren't here for uh, the message on enjoying life, uh, just give you a couple samples. Chapter 2, verse 24 Nothing is better for a man than to eat and drink and enjoy his work. I have also seen that this is from the hand of God. In other words, this is something God has for you. God has this right here in his hand for you. If you walk with him, this is how he wants you to approach life. 
Chapter 3, 13, every man should eat and drink and find satisfaction in all of his labor. This is the gift of God. So joy in, in life and fearing God are inseparably married together. They're like husband and wife. They can't be separate, separated. It's like I mean, what God has joined together, let no man separate. We are to be, as uh, John Wesley used to say, we're to be happy and holy. We're to enjoy life and fear God. And I find the book of Ecclesiastes extremely helpful and very practical to myself, just in my mental attitude, into my emotions, and to how I come at life. Um, The message of Ecclesiastes is that life is not perfect. In fact, it's painful. There's toil and tears and so on. And I find great freedom in just accepting the vanity of life. To stop worrying about trying to have a picture-perfect life because it will not be found under the sun. So, accept the vanity of life, fear God, obey God, and go enjoy God and His gifts and whatever He has given you to enjoy today. That, in essence, is the book, or is the message of the book of Ecclesiastes. And I hope it leaves a lasting impact on you. Fearing God is for young people, for old people, and everybody in between. Uh, We just read a couple of verses out of uh, chapter 12, but chapter 12 actually begins, uh, Remember your Creator in the days of your youth. Uh, Because God is our creator, we should remember him as a young person. And as you go through life, all the way through life, you should remember that somebody created you. It was God. And you didn't make yourself. God created you. He gave you your life, and you should remember him. But it specifically says there, remember your creator in the days of your youth. Um. We should remember that ultimately we belong to him. And again, Solomon brings up that we will answer to him. Even when he's addressing young people, he said, Rejoice, O young man, while you are young. Go enjoy your youth. And let your heart be glad in the days of your youth. But also remember that God judges everything that you do in your life. Now, by the grace of God, and I, I hope this comes across right. I, I, I worried about putting this in here, but uh, I hope this comes across right. But by the grace of God, and I truly mean as a gift of God, that um, he put, God put the fear of the Lord in me when I was a young person. And quite frankly, it made me feel like an oddball most of my life. Uh, it just made me feel kind of on the outside of things as a kid growing up. But what I want to say to you uh, young people this morning, if you are here and you're young 
And if you do have a fear of the Lord, if God has graciously put a fear of the Lord in your heart, guard that with all of your heart. It's one of the greatest gifts a young person can have. It's, great if it's one of the greatest gifts any of us can have. But young people, what a blessing if you have a reverential fear of God in your life. What a precious gift you have. Guard that. And if you're older, uh, 40, 50, 70, whatever, and you have not been walking in the fear of the Lord, uh, today would be a good day to begin that. Doesn't, it doesn't keep you from trials, of course, but uh, if, you begin to st- if you start fearing the Lord today, uh, the rest of your life will go a lot, whole lot better. So chapter 12, which again I can't go into, we talked about it in a little more detail in a previous, previous message, but after spelling out uh, how our bodies uh, break down or wear out like a, and really fall apart, uh, just like an old house, uh, Solomon said, uh, and I think he's warning middle-aged people, older people, he's already addressed young people, right? Okay, so now he's talking to us older people. And he's saying, uh, remember him. Who's him? God. Remember God before the silver cord is snapped. I think you probably understand that word picture. Remember him before the silver cord is snapped and the golden bowl is crushed, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring and the wheel is broken at the well, before the dust returns to the ground from which it came and the spirit to the God who gave it. Before all that happens, remember God. Life is coming to an end for us. My mother uh, was a remarkably beautiful young woman. And I look back and see some of the pictures uh, of her as a young lady, uh, yeah, she was, she was just, she was a beauty. Uh, and she always had tons of energy in her life. Uh, she could wear me out clear up into her 80s. I mean, honestly, I'd go pick her up at the retirement home and take her around to do a bunch of projects, and I was just worn out, and she still had three or four other places she wanted to go. Uh, but, you know, that's, that was all gone that all wore out, that all broke down, that all fell apart in her final years. And uh, now she's gone. And we are all marching toward death. You know, sometimes uh, at a big football game, they will honor some of the greatest football players from the past at halftime. And, you know, if you watch some of those ceremonies, uh, some of those guys can hardly walk. You know, their knees are bad, their hips are bad. They're just, they're, they're aging. What's happening to them is exactly what Solomon describes in chapter 12 and says will happen to all. 
Uh, once in a while, they even come out in a wheelchair. But here, here, here we're looking at the best athletes in the world with the strongest bodies, and they're just a shadow of what they once were. And Solomon says that's, that's where we're all headed. And then comes death. And then comes judgment. So what should we do about that? Well, Solomon says, remember him. Remember God and fear God and keep his commandments. That's the end of the whole matter. And live your life today in light of that end. And that's, that's the path to joy. Uh, that's the path to purpose and meaning in life. Well, we all need this. We all need to hear this, every single one of us. Uh, but this is also an extremely important attitude for us to have collectively or as a church family. When Luke described the high point of the early church, he said the church had peace and was being built up walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. You know, churches want to be a lot of things. I'm not sure too many churches are thinking about being a church that's walking in the fear of the Lord, but we should be. And I want that for, for this church. We want to be that. We want to be a church that's enjoying life, uh, enjoying God's good, good gifts, but we want to be a church that's walking in the fear of the Lord. Um, that's the, the church, the New Testament church, the early church that was walking in the fear of the Lord the Holy Spirit was comforting that church. The Holy Spirit was poured out on that church. And may we be a church uh, like that. All right, let's, let's stand and close in prayer.